Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Come and grab a seat. Grab your Bible. Can you turn to the book of Philippians? Philippians in the New Testament. We started a series last week on this book. We'll be going through it for the next 10 weeks or so. Looking at the book of Philippians, the theme of the book is joy. Joy, joy, joy. Hence that song we just listened to. Joy, joy, joy. I know it's a Christmas song, but I found out today, Joe told me, because he has the app. How many days till Christmas, Joe? 99. We've just, we've just hit double figures, so we're down. So we're in the final. Get ready. Apparently the seasonal aisle in Tesco's is full of Christmas chocolate. It's here. Embrace the crazy, I think. Uh, for those of you who want to read along while we study Philippians and kind of get into it a little bit more, just a couple of things I'll just suggest to you as options. First one is a book, which I read a few years back, was, um, is on the book of Philippians, just if you want to delve more into the book as you're reading along. This one's called To Live is Christ, To Die is Gain by Matt Chandler. Is an excellent book, just and it kind of goes through the Philippians. Um, and if you want to study a bit more, grab that. To Live as Christ, to Die as Grain by Matt Chandler. You can get that on bookshops, Amazon, and the like. Have a look at that, read that. Another one which I found, which I found quite interesting, I found this online. And this is um, the ESV Crossway are doing these um, little journal things based around books of the Bible. So this is the book of Philippians, basically as a journal. So it's got the text of the Bible plus blank spaces. And I started using it in my prep where I'm starting writing and, and abusing it, drawing and underlining and making notes, just as I study it through it to preach to you guys. So they're only a few pounds online. Grab them. That's the Philippians um, uh, journal by uh, Crossway, the ESV version uh, translation. So you can have a look at that if you want to study along, read, and you don't want to write in your Bible, but you want to take notes. That's just a useful thing for the period of this sermon series, and then you can put it on the shelf and it comes back as a resource later on. So we've been looking at this whole idea of joy, the theme of joy runs through. Last week we looked at the key to joy, and then as we go through the text, we're going to look at particular aspects, and what we're going to look at today in this next section is joy in loneliness, joy in loneliness. Now, I want to ask you the question, have you ever experienced loneliness at any point in your life? My family, you might know my wife, Melanie, she's an extrovert. She loves people. She gets her energy from people. That's kind of what extrovert is. She loves meeting new people. She loves being in environments with lots of people, and that's kind of her thing. I'm the other end of the spectrum. I am an introvert. Um, I'm actually an extreme one, um, the Mars-Briggs case uh, study tells me. And that means I get my energy from within. I prefer smaller groups of people. I prefer time on my own to get my energy back. Big crowds of people sap me. Um, I, I prefer that kind of time to read, a bit of time to go out for a run. Those kind of things is what gets me going. But the reality is even though we are so very different in our personality and makeup, we have both experienced loneliness in our lives, both experience periods of loneliness. We experience loneliness in our calling to lead a church, to be in leadership, to plant this church and all that, that has happened, just trying to carry that and have that burden, that responsibility from God to walk in that. We've experienced great loneliness at different points in our life, kind of dealing with that and processing that over the years. We've experienced loneliness seasons in our jobs, in what we do, what we get paid to do, which for this period of time is being, being paid by the church to work for the church. But there's only two of us on staff at the moment, and we've experienced loneliness in there. We've even experienced loneliness in our marriage. 
you think kind of because you're married, you've got someone else, you're always going to be fine. But actually, being misunderstood, being so different, trying to communicate, it, it can be very hard. And you experience a sense of loneliness, actually. I don't feel I'm connecting. I don't think you're hearing me. And this goes both ways. Melanie's expressed the same to me. And the reality is it's possible to be surrounded by people, be in relationships, be in friendships, be in work, be in social settings, and still be extremely lonely. And this can be very difficult. And I wonder if you felt the same, if you can identify with that. Have you had periods in your life where you felt isolated, detached, friendless, alone, kind of feeling like you're on your own against stuff? And if this happens at difficult or low periods of your life, it can be particularly hard to deal with and to process. Think, what is this going to be like? And I imagine, looking at a group like this, it's something that we can all identify with. And it seems that it's something that is very common in our world around us. I read this article that was published in July uh, by the Huffington Post, and it said this. It says, in Britain, more than 9 million people are thought to often or always feel lonely, with the elderly and the young seemingly most affected. Earlier this month, Childline reported a 14% rise in the number of children contacting the charity about loneliness, the vast majority of whom were girls. Meanwhile, at the opposite end of the age spectrum, one in nine older people have contact with family or friends less than once a month. And for four million older people in the UK, TV is their main source of company. This week, Tracy Crouch, the UK's Minister for Loneliness, the first in the world, told the Huffington Post that she had been inundated with pleas for help since her appointment by Theresa May. The MP underlined the extent to which young people are affected by the issue. Although older people feature highly on the statistics scale, it's 16 to 24-year-olds that are more likely to feel lonely, she said, pointing to the impact of social media. Another article I read said, according to figures published by the Office of National Statistics, 2.4 million adult British residents of all ages suffer from chronic loneliness. That number combined with research highlighting the medical dangers posed by loneliness could see the condition being recognized as the UK's most dangerous health issue. It seems no one is immune to loneliness. At one end of the spectrum, we have the older, often divorce, bereavement, families moving apart, moving to different parts of the country, different parts of the world can highlight this sense of loneliness. For the young, it seems to be the advent of social media and kind of the impression that that gives. Although you might have hundreds of Facebook friends, actually, do you really have a friend? And it can highlight this sense of loneliness. Mother Teresa, before her death, having dealt with poverty all her life, said this, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Fascinating insight. Now, the reason that loneliness is such a problem is that we are designed for a relationship and community. And it all begins with God. God himself is community. He is perfect community. Father, Son, Spirit. We call this the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. They existed before the foundation of the world, co-eternal, co-equal, the Father and the Son and the Spirit living in perfect community together. And so when man made, uh, God made man, he created them, put them on the earth, everything was good. In fact, not everything was good. Everything was very good except for one thing. What was the one thing? It's not good for man to be alone. 
that's interesting. Often skim over that. Actually, it's not. We need relationships. We need connection. We need um, bonding with other human beings. It's how we've been designed. And God made man and woman to have that relationship, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with another. Then sin comes in and fractures it all. Genesis chapter 3. It's all broken. And we've been dealing with the consequences of this separation from God and separation from one another ever since. And it's an ongoing thing. And we try and deal with it. And we try and form friendships to kind of deal with that problem. And friendships are usually based on two things. They're based on proximity or affinity or both. If you are close to someone, you maybe you're in the same school, same university, same job. Uh, you live in the same town, same street, your neighbors. You build a friendship out of that because you are just close to each other. The other thing is affinity. You have a common interest. You do the same things together. You go to the same club, same uh, society, same uh, political interests. And whatever it is, you find a connection with that person through a common shared interest. And that's how you build relationship. But the problem with that is they can change. You can move. You leave school. You graduate university. You change job. You move town. Things happen. Your interests change over time. You move on from something, someone else, or maybe you get illness and you have to change it. You get older and things just change. And as a result, those things change and as a, um, then friendships kind of can fall by the wayside and you might have to start again, which can add to a sense of loneliness. I don't know if you feel this. Are there friends that you had to look back over your life? I had friends at school or at university or at college or at work or in this job or in that job in this town that you no longer have because you've moved away. And that just underlines this point. And having lasting friendships with people is not easy. It takes time and energy to keep going through it. And even when you kind of reach the holy grail of maybe getting married, having children, you think, oh, I've made it. You can still find loneliness is there. Even in those contexts with lots of people, having lots of friends, you can still feel that sense of detachment and loneliness. And the bottom line is friendship is not the ultimate answer to our problem. Because we have a deeper problem, the problem of human sin. And we find in our letter, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And if anyone had a reason to be lonely, he day, he was in prison. And he was in a Roman prison, which aren't like our modern prisons, which can be bad enough. They were way worse than that, way more brutal, chained up all day, often with no food. But you had to rely on people to bring you food with no sense of heating in there. You were just left to the elements and the cold stone walls. He had no wife. He had no children. He was alone. He was unsure of his release, and he was facing possible execution. That's kind of what he did. If anyone had a reason to feel lonely, it would have been the Apostle Paul in that situation. Yet, we find him full of joy. We've already noted last week, this week, this is the letter of joy. It comes up again and again. I challenge you last week, read through Philippians. Find all the times when Paul talks about joy or rejoicing. It'll come up again and again throughout the letter. And there's no difference, no, no change in this particular passage today. And he points to an answer to his loneliness. Why should he be joyful in his prison with his no wife and no children? He's far away from the church in Philippi and he just, he's, just, he's just, it's in a difficult situation. And his ultimate answer is simply this, Jesus. 
If you read that first section of Philippians, we're going to read some of it today. I think Jesus comes up about seven times. He keeps pointing to Jesus. He keeps pointing to Jesus and saying, Church of Philippi, you need to look to Jesus. And if I won't challenge you, read that section in your own time, the first kind of 10, 11 verses. How many times does Paul point to Jesus in it all? And he's saying the ultimate answer to human separation from one another and from God is Jesus himself. And despite Paul's difficult, horrible, lonely situation, he finds joy in it. So I'm just going to read the passage, then we'll look at three things I just want to pull out there for finding joy in loneliness. So can we put the passage up, please? Let me read this here. I'm going to start at verse 3. If you want to follow along in your Bibles. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayers with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, three things that brings Paul joy in his loneliness. Partnership, uh, perseverance, and prayer. The first one, partnership. He begins by saying, I thank my God in remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. There's joy because of what? Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul begins, he's writing, he's done his intro. We looked at that last week. He now begins with thankfulness and he is thankfulness as he remembers them. As a church in Philippi, he remembers what's happened there. And he's, 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 his um, remembrance and joy is based on his relationship with them and also what he has walked through with them. Now, this would probably be a re- reference in part to Acts chapter 16. We mentioned it last week. If you haven't read Acts chapter 16, it's worth just reading that one chapter because that tells the story of how the church in Philippi began. And Paul was going around being a missionary to the Gentiles and non-Jews, as God had called him to. And then he had a dream, and there was a man saying, come over, to, come over to Macedonia, another area that Paul hadn't been to in the old Roman Empire. He said, come over here and tell us about Jesus. Paul travels over, and he ends up in Philippi, which is the major city of that region. He goes to Philippi, and when he's there, he goes and finds a bunch of Jews who are meeting He tells them about Jesus, and it says there's this lady called Lydia. She's miraculously converted right there and then by the side of the river where they were gathering. And she was a wealthy woman. She was a dealer in cloth. And she said, come into my house. You can come. You can stay with me, and we'll start kind of the church here. Tell me more about Jesus. Paul's then ministering in Philippi, and there's this crazy story of this young girl who follows him around, basically yelling him. It turns out she's demon-possessed, and she's been used by her owners to kind of fortune-tell. And Paul's trying to just get away from her and eventually is so troubled that he prays for her and the demon is, is she's released, which is wonderful news. She's set free. However, her owners aren't happy. 
because their, their income stream has just been cut. You know, austerity has just come to their life. Oh my goodness, how we can do it. So they raise up trouble. He gets chucked in prison. It seems Paul spends a lot of time in prison. If you want to follow Jesus, prison might be your future. Just saying. It's all about joy, remember? So he goes to prison and he's there with his friend. And they're singing praise to God one night and an earthquake comes. If I was Paul, I'd be thinking, this just can't get worse. I'm in prison and now there's an earthquake. The doors all break open of the, the cells, it says, but Paul and his buddy don't leave. The, the jailer freaks out because the other prisoners are going to go. And he's like, if they go, I'm, gonna, I'm responsible. So he's about to kill himself. You know, kind of, oh no. Paul yells out, we're still here. So don't go. The, the jailer is then converted. Jesus, he tells him about Jesus. And so is his family. So you kind of got church growth through prison. It's brilliant. So this is what Paul is remembering. When he's saying, I'm, I'm remembering you and I'm thankful, these are the kind of stories he lived on. We don't know what comes after that. So he was there for a period of time. There must have been more people who became Christians, more people who got baptized, etc., etc. So he is remembering that and it is sparking joy in his heart as he does it. And it says he prays for them over and over again. He doesn't actually get round to praying. We'll get to the end of the passage and he actually praise but he's saying I, I pray for you regularly I'm always thankful in my prayers for what God has done in your life and this brings him joy and then he says despite his lonely situation his thankfulness and joy is based on this word partnership if you're one of these people who likes to underline bits in your Bible do that partnership in the gospel and he says from the first day until now so he's remembering people who first got saved first said we will come with you on this journey we recognize who Jesus is. We recognize who you tell us he is. He's the one. He's God come to earth, lived that perfect life, died on the cross, rose from death victorious, offers us life, forgiveness of sins. And we will stand alongside you and we will form a gospel partnership. Partnership implies um, close fellowship, association. We're in this together. It's the opposite of distance and removed. You over there, we're over here. You get on with your thing. We'll get on with our thing. No, no. We're along this. We're partners together. Imagine standing arm in arm, working together. That's what it is. And it's for the gospel. It's very much all about Jesus. It's all about who he is, what he's done, and how in turn that affects all aspects of life. And so we have this gospel partnership, Paul's saying. Me, even though I'm here in jail, you're in your church in Philippi, going about kind of life together. We are together and this is this has been from the very first day and it's carried through even though i'm in prison we're partners together in the gospel and this has been manifested we find out later in the letter that the church in philippi had heard about what paul paul's situation and they had sent him a gift they'd obviously taken up an offering of some kind we don't know what we don't know quite how it works but it, we knew it was taken a man named epaphroditus traveled which traveled back then was a dangerous, tricky affair. It had taken a long time. Found Paul and delivered the gift from the church. He said, we, we just bless you. We know you're in this rough situation. We're for you and have this gift. It's some sort of material aid. It could have been money. It could have been clothes to keep him warm. It could have been a whole bunch of things. But that's what they've done. And Paul is saying, we are partners together in this mission. And as a result of that, that brings me joy. Even though I am effectively alone here, I'm away from you. I know you're with me, and through that, that sparks joy in his heart. Paul chose joy as a lifestyle rather than emotion. 
often we associate joy with an emotion, happiness, you know, but that can go, emotions can go up and down. With one football result, you can shatter emotions, you know, you can suddenly feel low. Or one thing goes well, oh yeah, you know, one piece of bad news and everything's gone. One piece of good news and you're suddenly up again. But Paul chose a lifestyle and his lifestyle was partnership with the gospel and it brings me joy because I hear stories of what God's doing. I know what's happening in Philippi. Epaphroditus must have shared some of the stuff that was going on. You know, this is what's happening. Paul said, tell me about Philippi. Tell me what's happening with the church. Tell me what's going on. Epaphroditus would have told him and it brought him joy to hear all the great things God had done. So Paul, along with the church of Philippi, had a common goal, a common mission, the service of Jesus to proclaim the good news to all who would listen. And that was something that kept him sustained in his time. And it, would, it gave him joy in a difficult situation. And for us here, as a local church, I don't know if you ever kind of think about it in this context, but if you look around at the other men and women here, and others who are serving out with the young people and the kids, we are partners together in the gospel. That's one of the ways to describe what we're doing. So everything we do together, we are partnering in making it happen. And there is a reason there for us to br- that to bring us joy, no matter what's happening in our given lives and given situations. If you just reflect on what's going on in the church and what's happening, if you look around at the people and you hear stories of changed lives and things that are going on. Last week we had a young lady come and testify that she became a Christian on the youth camp in the summer. And that was an incredible story just to hear. It wasn't even long, but she said, I I choose to follow Jesus. Repented of my sin. That's what I'm going to do. You are a partner in that because you're part of this church. You're part of this congregation. We're going in the same direction. It's incredible. It's something to take joy in. A couple of week times, we're going to baptize some people. Two people now. We're going to baptize them. The reason they're getting baptized it's because God has broken into life, but because you are partners with them in what's happening. The things we do in the community, the food bank that we take st- um, offerings for every week, and we feed people who are way less fortunate ourselves. Things that happen with the kids and the youth, some of the events we run, some of the things coming up. Christmas, hey! You know, we do these things, we are all partnering together. Even your giving of the tithes and the offerings that make all this work is an expression of your partnership. And we are to take a moment to stop, look around, and enjoy what God has done and take pleasure in it. And say, this is amazing. Look around. I know some of them look weird, but hey, maybe you do too. But just this is what God has done, and we are partnering together. We are partnering together in service of Jesus. We had a prayer meeting on Tuesday, our church prayer meeting. It was a fantastic time. And we were praying into some of these things about God doing things and people becoming Christians. And and I remember I just got struck again that two of the people in the room became Christians as part of this church. And they were now standing with us and praying for more. And it just hit me again. I think this is what gospel partnership is. We're working together to see God's kingdom break out in this place in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in this town, in this city. And it is an incredible thing. So we are partners together, but it goes beyond us. We're part of a movement of churches. 
called the Atlas Network. We had our festival back in May. A whole bunch of you were there. It was wonderful just to go and hear and be a part of thousands of people who are all on the same mission. It was an incredibly joyful experience. We worshipped together and there were thousands in the room. They had kids work and they had youth work and they had seminars and all stuff. And some of the leaders spoke and just told us stories of things that were happening. And it was just an incredible thing just to be a part of and listen and say, we are partnering with people all over the world to see the good name of Jesus be proclaimed and lives to be transformed. And what a pleasure it was. Personally, as a church, we're connected with Andy Martin. He's been in preached a number of times. He's an elder down in the church in the center of town, Church Central, but he travels widely, particularly in the Muslim world, Muslim majority world, um, seeing churches planting, preach the gospel. And he comes in every time he comes here. I love, uh, he preaches, which I think is good, but I love the front end bit when he tells stories. He says, I was in this country and this happened. And I was in this country and this happened. And I was over here and this happened. And people becoming saved and people having dreams. And Jesus is turning up in the dream and saying, you need to follow me. And they're waking up and saying, I need to find a church. And in a, town, a city that doesn't have churches or not allowed to have churches because of the kind of the government. But people are wanting to come find Jesus. And then God brings a Christian on their path and they start meeting together and studying the Bible. And a church is started. We are in partnership with him. We support Andy partly financially, but we are united in what he does. A few weeks ago, Ben and I were out in southern Africa visiting Live Village, another place we are partnering with and seeing what God has done. And I, I got to stand on the place that they had built this village and I saw children who had been taken from the most horrific backgrounds, who had been put into homes with mums who love them and care for them. And they were growing up in God and they were worshipping, praising God on Sunday in church and they were in an environment that was secure and nurturing for them. It was incredible to say, we are partnering with you in that. And these are, should be all sources of joy. If you want to find out a bit more about Live, go on their Facebook page, get updates. Find out what's happening. But we are to rejoice in what God's doing in this place and all around the world because we are gospel partners together. Okay, the second thing, perseverance. Paul says, verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. A couple of things out of that. The first one is, is some assurance. It says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Paul has supreme confidence in what God will do. He has supreme confidence in what God will do. His confidence isn't in the church in Philippi, isn't in their leaders, isn't in them as Christians to say, actually, I know that you guys are smart, you're wise, you're mature, you're going to be okay. No, his, his assurance is in God. And he knows what God has begun, God will finish. And he will carry you all the way through. And he says, he has began a good work in you. There's a reference to their salvation in Jesus. That good work that he begun in you when you became Christians. And for Paul, many of them he would have witnessed. I imagine Lydia would have been on his mind. From Acts chapter 15. The Philippian jailer and his family would have been on his mind. Thinking, actually, I know you. I was there when you knelt down in my prison cell. And I pointed you to Jesus and you became a Christian. And he's saying that good work that has begun, 
That's the part. He's saying it will, be, it will be carried on and one day brought into completion, which is the future. He's saying God is going to carry you through. What he has started, he will finish. And he says, until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a reference to the future day when Jesus returns. And he's saying, I know what God started over here will carry you through until one day he returns and we see him in glory. There is an assurance in Paul for the church in Philippi that actually God's on this. God's got you. When God's got you, he's not going to let you go. And in the midst of incredible difficulties, imagine what Paul was going through. He actually hears about the church of Philippi and they're under a bit of pressure. We don't exactly know what it was, but we know they're under pressure. There's some stuff going on in the church that they need to get So He says, in the midst of all that, I could be in the worst place. I'm, I'm facing execution. They might be sharpening the, the axe outside, ready to behead me. But do you know what? I know that what God has started, he will finish. He will carry it forward. And he, will, he is taking great joy. And he says, I hold you in my heart. His joy is in them and what God has done in them and the fact that it will carry on. He's not concerned that God's going to leave them in the lurch. It's all going to go wrong. It's all going to fall apart. No, he's, he's confident in what God has done. And his joy is there. It's, it's evident in the language he uses. I, I hold you in my heart. But he also says that you're to carry forward. He says he knows, I know God saved you. I know what God's done. I know he's going to carry you to the end. But what you don't get to do in the middle bit is sit on your bum and do nothing. Because you're not allowed to do that because he says, what do you say? He says, even in my imprisonment, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, he says they are hard at work doing the things that God had called them to do. The worst thing that you could do as a Christian, it shows your total misunderstanding of the gospel, is to enjoy that God has saved you, dealt with your sins, got your eternity secure, and think, now I can do what I like. Or I can sit on my bum. My bags are on the glory train. It's going to pull out at some point in the future. Give me a few more decades. And in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy life. It's a total misunderstanding of what the gospel is. The gospel saves you. It transforms you and then empowers you to live a godly, holy life. Because we know what God has done for us, we are overcome with gratitude, overwhelmed with praise and thanks and worship. And our desire is to pursue him wholeheartedly all the days of our life. And we express this with living holy lives, how we deal with our money, how we deal with other people, how we deal with our relationships, with friends, with spouse, with children. It affects everything. How we deal with our work and our boss. Everything involves pursuing Jesus. And Paul is saying to them, I'm facing opposition. I'm in prison. I'm probably going to get killed here. You guys are facing some kind of opposition there. That he would have known exactly what it is. We don't know because we haven't been preserved that information but he's saying to them, we are partakers in the same grace that's been poured out. Paul's already said that to them at the beginning of the letter. You receive grace. And he's saying, even though that's happened, you are still going after God. You are still persevering with all the things that he's called to. And that is a source of joy, knowing that others are following after Jesus. That they're not letting opposition take them around. They're not falling away. They're not just giving up, tapping out, saying, this is too much for me. You just say, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love you, I'm for you, and I'm so thrilled that you are going after him. That you're not stopping. And I know what God's begun. I know he's going to finish it. And I know in the middle you're going to keep on persevering. One of the key signs 
of a mature Christian or a Christian who is maturing in their faith is they keep going after Jesus. They don't quit. They don't take time out. They just keep going. Their life is moving forward. That doesn't mean that their life is perfect. It doesn't mean hardships come. Difficulties come in our life. But their general trajectory of their life is we just keep going. They deal with stuff God brings up in their life. They deal with the pains and the hurts and the bitterness and the things that come up and the redundancies and the bereavements and the illness and the suffering and the tears. But they keep going after Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And Paul is saying your perseverance in the gospel brings me joy, brings me such hope with it. And for us as believers here, we're to do the same. We're to be men and women who go after Jesus. And we keep going after Jesus. And we don't stop going after Jesus. And your age doesn't, doesn't count you in or doesn't count you out. If you're young and fit, you keep going. If you're old and decrepit, oh, you need to take time out. No, no, you keep going. You keep going and you keep moving. And we need to be people who pursue Jesus with everything. And we ought to take joy in it for ourselves, but also join it in others. Cheering others on, seeing others keeping going. One of my joys in a church like this that, that's grown over the last few years, when we started, we were young, hip, cool, and trendy. And that was a bit of a problem for, for all those things, but particularly for the young. And I was one of the old people in the church. And I'm now, I know you don't think I'm very old, but I am getting older but we, we, I remember being in prayer meetings when we would pray and we'd say, God, send the gray hair. And he did. But I meant, I meant others, you know, older people, to mature us as a church. And one of my joys is seeing those who've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive still following Jesus and still going after God and still praying and still reading their Bible and still learning and saying there's more to go. And I love that. And I love investing in the young Hoping they carry it through, but I love looking at those who are older amongst us and saying, you are keeping going. It's an inspiration to us. If you know you're in that category, you are an inspiration to me and to us as a church, and we love ha having you here. And so for us as a church, we need to keep pursuing Jesus. We need to keep persevering. We need to take joy in our own salvation, but also in that of others, and take joy in others who are pursuing after God and we need to encourage them and we need to be behind them cheering them on keeping going with them we need to be reading our Bible and praying regularly we've been banging it this year put in a lifelong habit of daily Bible reading and prayer however works for you don't care how you do it as long as you do it we put lots of resources out we did a sermon series on it a few months back go re-review that stuff if you missed it Get in a life group. If you're not in a life group, you're not in part of the community of the church where you're surrounded by people who can cheer you on, people who can inspire you, people who can encourage you, people whose lives you can look at and say, well, let's do this together. We're partners together. Let's encourage one. Let's persevere. Let's go after Jesus. Let's, let's stand by one another. If you're not in it, get in one now, today. Sorry, that was a bit forceful, but I meant it. Do you know what I mean? Getting part of one of our serving teams. If you're not serving here at church formally, think about that. How can you serve us in what we do? We've got loads of teams, loads of opportunities just to be involved. They're great sources to work out your gifting, to feel part of it, to be encouraged, to meet other people. All those things are good and helpful to keep us going. Whatever you're doing in your kind of work, whatever that bit of your life looks like, the not church bit, keep going after God. Keep serving. Keep being the best you can be in whatever God called you to be. Whether you're, you know, you're a banker, you're an accountant, you're a teacher, you're in business or finance. Keep 
going in those areas. Don't quit. Keep seeking after Jesus. What's, he's got you there for a reason. Even if it's tough and hard and the boss is a pain and, you know, it's an immoral environment, keep going. Keep serving Jesus. Keep persevering because God's got you. God's got you. You don't keep going because I'm tougher and harder than anyone else. No, no. God's got you. And what he's promised he started, he will finish. And so you can keep going because you know God's going to keep you. God's going to give you the strength and the grace to get through whatever mountain is in front of you, whatever valley you find yourself in. When things are going well and everything's flying or whether you feel like Paul, I feel like I'm in a prison, I'm alone and I'm facing death, whether literally or metaphorically, whatever it is, keep going because God's got you. His Holy Spirit is with you. Keep persevering. The final one, prayer. Paul said in verse 3 about, I pray for you. He finally gets around, verse 9, to actually praying for them. You ever done that? I'm going to pray for you. Then you suddenly go off on a tangent. Paul did that. He's now back to what he was talking about. All right, I'm going to pray for you. He said, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ with the glory and praise of God. He prays for two things, Paul. He prays for love and he prays for discernment. Interestingly, he doesn't pray for material things. We know the church in Philippi were going through some kind of opposition, some kind of stress. He doesn't actually pray that that goes, not that that's a bad thing. He doesn't pray for them to have stuff. Again, it's not a bad thing, but he prays for two things. He prays for growth in their life in the area of love and discernment. He says that your love may abound more and more. When we talk about love, in our culture, love is often associated with feelings, usually sexual feelings, often, but even if they're not, they're, just, they're usually strong emotions, which have their place. But what Paul is driving at here is something deeper, something bigger. He's talking about a love that is patient and kind and gracious and forgiving and bears with one another and deals with hardship and keeps going. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, there's a kind of a, he explains what love is like in that section there, and it's ultimately expressed in one person, Jesus Christ, and particularly in one action, his death and resurrection on the cross. And that's when he's saying, when he's talking about your love may abound more and more, he's talking about that, not gooey, sentimental, warm feeling love, but a love of choice, a willful decision that involves hardship and sacrifice in the face of opposition and difficulty. And he's saying that kind of love needs to characterize you as a church and I want it to increase more and more and more. Primarily that should be outworked among the family, the church, the people of God. That's the primary outworking of it, that we are a family together, we are God's people together, we should love one another. But actually it flows out of us into the world around us. And sometimes... It's easier to love those outside than those inside because we know those inside a little bit better and they're just a little bit more annoying because we know them and they're Christians so they should know better. But Paul's saying actually we should start with love at home. That's where it begins and then it flows outside us. He says, so I want your love to increase, to grow, to multiply more and more. And then he says, then it comes to me, he says, and discernment with knowledge of all discernment. This is, he's referring here to moral insight. So he's basically saying, I want you to love and be a loving church, but I also want you to have 
insight in what's the best place to manifest that love. I want you to love the things that matter. I want your love to be about the important things and the right things of this world because there's lots of things in this world you can love. There's lots of things you can wor- in this world you can sup- uh, pursue with dedication and focus and sacrifice, but ultimately they don't matter. And Paul is saying, I want you to have discernment. I want you to have insight, have wisdom about what it is you should love, what it is you should give your time to. And it says, he goes on to say that you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless. So he's talking about holy lives, holy living. I want you to, your love to increase, you to have understanding, so you live holy, godly lives. So you love the things God loves. You don't love the things the world loves. You love the things God loves, and that's your primary concern. And your love in that would increase how you care for one another, how you care for the hurting and the broken and the poor and the outsiders. You love the things of God about purity and righteousness and right standing before God, not pursuing things of sin and things that would drag you away from God. Don't do that. And he says, I want you to be pure and blameless until when? The day of Christ, which is another reference to that final day when Jesus returns. And he's saying, I want you to live in light of that. I want your focus to be living for the end. And then what you do now and how your love increases is in light of that. That that is your goal. That is your focus. And what you dedicate your time and attention to now and your passion is dictated by what is coming. Because he's very clear elsewhere. And he says, the things of this world, they're just going to pass away. They're going to get burnt up. And only what you've lived for God, only that is going to last. Only that is going to be what matters. And he says, I want you to bear the fruit of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. I want you to love that. I want you to love that so you pursue. I want you to love that in others. I want you to praise that in others. Not the things the world values, power, status, authority, money, possessions. Those things the world thinks are pretty cool. The church should be different. We should be different, what we're living for. And so I want you, Paul Paul is saying, I want you to have an ever-increasing love for Jesus, which then manifests in others, but also an ever-increasing discernment of what is good and right to pursue. Good is right. How should we do that? And what I want to finish with, we're going to end and the band are going to come up, is I want to just talk about this prayer. I want us to pray this prayer this week. I want you to put a kind of bookmark in your Bible, and I'd love you to pray this prayer this week. I'd love you to pray it for yourself. I'd love you to just put a, those flash Bibles, if you've got a flash Bible, like mine, flash Bibles have these little ribbony things, that's now how you know you've made it with a Bible. Put it in Philippians. Philippians, and then what you want to do is every morning I want you to open it up. Okay, some of you got phones. I know this. Mark, bookmark it on your phones. You open up Philippians 1. I want you to go to verse 9. I want you to pray that for yourself. I want you to pray for yourself that, your Jesus, I pray today that my love may abound more and more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that I may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to pray that for yourself every day. 
Maybe you can put it on a post-it note, a card or whatever. Just put it somewhere where you'll remember. But pray that for yourself. I want you in life groups this week. You guys are getting together to meet in your different life groups. I would love you to pray that for your life group this week. When you do the Eat, Chat, Pray, spend some time praying, worshiping God. Then just pray for one another that the love may abound more and more, that we would demonstrate it more in our lives. You might be specific about situations at work or in home. I think, do you know what? I need more love there. (laughs) My love isn't abounding. My love is receding and decreasing and becoming cold because they're just, pray for me that my love may abound more and more with them. And I might have discernment to know how to kind of outwork that. Pray for one another. Throughout the rest of the week, I'd love you to pray for your life group. Start with the leader because they have the biggest pressure kind of leading you guys. And I'd love you to pray for them. My life group leader, I've got two. One's called Katie, one's called Abby. I'm going to pray for them. Pray for their spouses. Pray for their children. That their love would increase more and more. And make it concrete. Make it discernible. So it's not even a long prayer. You can pray for yourself in the morning. And then pick someone in your life group. Pick two people. We cover it in ten days or so. Pray for them. That they may grow more and more with love and depth of insight. And I, will, I challenge you to do that and not see your joy increase. <laughs> not see your joy increase. Because Paul is facing a horrific situation at that point, but yet he seems overcome with joy. Joy for the church, joy for what God's doing, joy knowing that God has started something and he will finish it. He's praying for them, he's praying for their love will increase more and more. And I'd love us this week to be a church that <laughs> does the same that we can pray more and more for one another, that we can enjoy one another moving forward together with God, persevering, and we can just soak in that reality that we are partners together in the gospel. We are partners together working out all that God has called us to. Amen? Okay, do you want to stand up? Can the band come up? I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to worship, and then we're going to see if Jesus has got anything else to say to us today.